this week on The Inswinger. Now what you're seeing is total buy-in from the players to press with intensity all game, you know, stick to their guns and how they play. If we were seeing the same challenges given the same punishment every week, you'd say, okay, that's the rule. I think slowly but surely, Pochettino's tactics are seeping through. Even at 2-0 down, I remember saying to myself, they'll get one because they just always look dangerous. Good afternoon, welcome back to The Inswinger, Season 3, Episode 8. I'm Charlie Matteo, joined by... Harrison McGlashan. We had a big weekend, a couple of uh, crucial matchups. Uh, Chelsea, Arsenal, big game, West Ham and Villa, two kind of mid-table teams who have higher aspirations. The Claret and Blue Derby. Claret and Blue Derby. It is massive. <laughs> my, da my dad was complaining, he's like... These kits, the kit clash. You got someone's got to wear something different. He wasn't Did they happy. both wear the same thing? No, we wore white shirt, light blue shorts. Yeah, I they so. so yeah, but still, it was a bit, it was a bit odd. Yeah. To be fair to them, they, 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 the claret and blue was theirs first. We did us Burnley. We took it. From it's a that. slightly different. Uh, Shade, hue. isn't it? Slightly different hue. Yeah, yeah I think right. so. Anyway. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I want to talk about Chelsea and Arsenal. This was a London derby. Seems to always be a bit of a spicy one, this matchup. It was at the bridge. Chelsea starting to pick up some form. When a, went two goals up, a penalty from Cole Palmer, second penalty he scored, uh, and then Declan Rice scored. You know, Sanchez gifted it to him, but it was, it was still a good finish and a bit of individual quality from Saka and Trossard, 2-2. But I want to. What, what's the bigger takeaway? Because Chelsea were good, but you know Arsenal to be at the bridge down two 0 not playing well in the rain to come back and salvage a point takes a lot. So, in your opinion, Harrison, which, what's the bigger takeaway? Arsenal's resilience or the stark Chelsea improvement that we saw against you know a top team? You know, I think it's Arsenal just because I think Chelsea have been going in that direction, and when you look at it, it's actually not too surprising the way they played how well they played i mean to to start with chelsea i think is a good place to start here i think i think they played well i thought pochettino's game plan was spot on in that first half and they kept arsenal at bay really mm -hmm. so you have to give them credit for that in my opinion of course arsenal looked a bit off uh which which happens to, to any team you know happened to city um but I think Chelsea are looking much more confident is the word I would use to describe them. I think Poch has a much better idea of who his best team is. Mm. And I said this before, I can see what he's trying to do now, right? The team just needs some time, and, and the young players will need time. We've talked about this. Uh, but for me, they're certainly heading in the right direction, which is positive. But that's, that's not a narrative shift, right? Um, so, it, so for Arsenal, I thought they were poor in the first half. But what was impressive was, like you said, that resiliency in the second. They, listen, they conceded a, pr a fluky goal from, yeah. from Mudrik. Uh, you know, he's claiming he meant it. I'm not buying <laughs> not it. Not having that. Uh, it was a cross that ended up as a shot. Uh, but th those things happen, and uh, it's really just one of those. You can't really do much about it. Uh, but what impressed me most is obviously the way they responded. Even at 2-0 down, I remember saying to myself, they'll get one because... They just always looked dangerous, and they always looked like they were going to score, even when they weren't at their best. I don't think Arsenal have been at their best this season, mm. to be honest with you, but they're still unbeaten. So they, they, always, uh, they really had the momentum, actually, after conceding, which is impressive. And that resiliency is a really impressive trait that they clearly have. Rice pulled one back with a great finish. I mean, he's just been 
immense for them. I think Declan Rice just adds another dimension to this team. He plays in sort of two different roles for them. He just seems like a winner. He seems like a leader. And he just adds a presence that a title-challenging team needs, you know, I think in in the dressing room and on the pitch. Um, I do have concerns over the midfield three for Arsenal, whether it's Jorginho or Havertz in there with Rice and Odegaard. I think Partey coming back might be might be helpful there, but I just think the signing of Rice has added something they lacked. But um, back to the game, I just think that, you know, they weren't at the best for 90 minutes, and that will happen in games like these where Chelsea played well, frustrated you, they're in a bit of form, but they kept going at them, and they always looked dangerous in that second half, especially when the substitutes came on. I think this the attacking depth for Arsenal is something that they didn't necessarily have last season, and it's just giving them another dimension. I mean, you look at Trossard, coming I mean, off the bench, super uh, sub. This yeah. guy, Trossard, he's been he's been fantastic. So, I think mentally, uh, it just shows how much they've grown as a team since Arteta took over, and it shows that they are never out of a game, which is which is a sign of a team that can that can win a league title. You know, and let's not forget, as I said earlier, they're unbeaten, and I don't think they've been at their best this season. So I think that's impressive. Yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge Arsenal's resiliency, and like you touched on there, they haven't been at their best this season. However, I think this the bigger takeaway from this game is is Chelsea's improvement because, yes, they beat Burnley, they beat Fulham, they had a couple good results, but this was Arsenal at the bridge, and to see, I think, just a bit of fight from this group, a bit of unity, a bit of continuity amongst this team. It was like start, suddenly you're seeing Conor Gallagher pop up in familiar positions and you're seeing Enzo influence the game and Caicedo sit and all of a sudden Mudrick is getting involved, Cole Palmer is getting a couple goals, albeit penalties. That's a huge step from where we were with Chelsea like a month ago. So I think that's the bigger takeaway because so much of what we were concerned about with Chelsea is there's so many new pieces, so many young period pieces, inexperienced pieces. How are they going to gel against top, top opposition where it's going to take some, you know, a learning, there's going to be a learning curve. And I think what we saw at the bridge is they didn't shy away from the occasion. They were up for it. The bridge was up for it. I think that helped them. And I think slowly but surely, Pochettino's tactics are seeping through. We're not doing this weird 3-5-2 with Chilwell at left wing like we were early in the season. Yeah, it's like, it's 4-3-3. Levi Colwell is playing center back. Kukurea, of all people, is starting to Had play his best a game bit a better. Shirt. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Malo Gusto, I think, was such an important signing because I saw his quality when Leon played West Ham a couple of years in the Europa League. Because we know injury-prone Reese James is it's just such a shame that he's going to be out yeah. consistency, but that's just a known quantity now. So that back four being settled is huge. The midfield being settled is big with Gallagher, Caicedo, and Enzo. It seems like there's balance there. And then going forward, you know, Sterling has still been a bit of a bright spot. Mudrick, he got his goal against Fulham, got this you know goal, cross-come shot, whatever it was. He Confidence is building. So... Taking all of that into consideration and then putting it onto the field against a rival like Arsenal, I think is huge for them. And it's only going to help their confidence in the long run because, like I said with Tottenham, you know, it takes a new group to do it against the best teams to really solidify that belief. And I think that's where, where Chelsea are going, you know, believing they can do it against top, top opposition. Yeah, there's more confidence. There's more belief about them for sure. You know, I think... I think our questions with Chelsea are are off the pitch. Yeah. It's fair to say we've both been pretty positive, I'd say, yeah. about Poch himself. Yeah. There's so, trust there's trust in Poch. So they're they're going in the right direction. I agree. 
Uh, Spurs top the league once more now through nine games uh, still unbeaten they handled Fulham at home with relative ease uh, you know Sun got the first goal it was a great bit of play signature finish from him he's really been back to his best at the center forward position uh, and then who nicked one later on I think it was Madison Madison nicked one uh, what a start he's made to life at Spurs I mean is there a more influential player has there been in the league thus far this season than James Madison at Spurs? It just seems Spurs lacked that specific dimension, that out-and-out out number 10. Because Kane, he would drop deep and almost play it like himself. He'd spring those balls to Son and Kulazewski. But now you have a guy who's dedicated to that role, and then you have Richarlison, Son, and Kulazewski. It seems like it's unlocked a whole new level for Spurs. How impressed have you been with James Madison. Oh, so impressed. I think he's, I don't think, there. to answer the question, I don't think there's been anyone as influential on a team as him this season. I mean, nine games played, nine games started, uh, 84 minutes per game. You know, he's playing basically every minute of every game, three goals. Uh, so just, just sensational. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, they, <laughs> we said it last season, there just wasn't that link between midfield and attack. Yeah. And he's, he does exactly that. So it, it's just, he, he's perfect for this team, perfect for the way Ange wants to play. Uh, the numbers speak for themselves. You know, he's just, he's just been sensational. And, you know, to be fair to him, he's, he's always been a really good player. But yeah. it's, it's about time, I think, that we've seen him in a top six team. I think he's, he's deserved that move for a while. Uh, and it's not just because he takes good free kicks and crosses. <laughs> you know, he right. is a really good player on right. both sides of the ball. He's his energy, uh, just the way he strikes the ball, the, his, his passing, uh, just a really, really well-rounded number 10. Uh, in a, yeah, in a position in the number 10 where, you know, it, it, I think we've... It's we've a dying thought, breed. It's, a, it's kind of a dying breed, isn't it? You look at the way the best teams play, City, Arsenal... It's more of a, a two attacking mids, really. I mean, you yeah. look at the way Arteta wanted to play this season with Odegaard and Havertz. Yeah, yeah. There's no out-and-out out 10 there. City, I mean, they've just got tons of midfielders right. on the pitch. Alvarez maybe is kind of a 10, but he, I mean, he's just everywhere. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it is a dying breed. Like you said, I feel like we haven't seen maybe an out-and-out out 10 since, you know, what comes to mind to me is the Mesut Ozil days. Right. right? And Madison's much, you know, is a different player there, but... Um, in terms of that kind of role and that impact on yeah. a team. Always wants the ball, always looking to play the ball you know, forward. That's an Ozil-Madison signature. Yeah. So, he, I mean, he's been great. I think he's probably been player of the season yeah. so far. I mean, you know, Holland hasn't really been himself, you could say. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think he's been great. Yeah, I just want to touch on Ange again. I know we've you know, talked a lot about how impressive he's been and his character, but... One thing stuck out to me, I was reading a quote because, you know, it was the Monday Night Football game, so they did some in-depth, you know, analysis. Uh, it was a preseason game against Shakhtar, and they were 1-0 up, and in the second half, they kind of stopped pressing with as much intensity, and apparently Ange, you know, battered them. It was like, this is what Tottenham teams have all have done, and it's come back to bite them, like not, you know, keeping that same intensity throughout the game. And I think the culture shift you're seeing at Tottenham is so impressive because, Big, bad managers have come into Tottenham and not gotten this club firing with arguably a better squad than Ange has right now because Ange is doing this without Harry Kane. He's doing it without you know guys like Lamella. Yes, Kulusevski's might be better than that, but Spurs have had some great teams in the past under Poch, under Jose, under Conte, where you think these managers and these players, they could do a lot here. 
Now what you're seeing is total buy-in from the players to press with intensity all game, you know, stick to their guns and how they play. And then now you have quality like Madison, Sun shining through. I still don't think we've seen the best from Richarlison. Oh, certainly not. You can tell me that more than I because, you know, at his best, he can be a, a difference maker. We just haven't seen that. He's kind of been playing off the left, not through centrally because Sun's been centrally. Hasn't so that's quite an interesting there. dynamic. Yeah. Um, and one more point, I think Mickey Van de Ven, talking about signings this season, he, if he goes down for them, their whole system is screwed because he is so quick. He reads the game so well. He's so good progressing the ball uh, from defense into the midfield. Uh, and last night, I mean, Basuma was suspended because of the red card. Hoiberg came in, did a decent job. But Pap Sar, uh, Pap Matar Sar, who's kind of been on the bench the last few years, he's been progressing too. So I think that the sign of a good manager is improving players you already have. And, and I think there's no question Ange has done that with guys, even guys like Emerson, who's kind of been a bit part player in past years, but he's taken a step Pedro forward. Pedro we thought he's a wing back. How's he going to do? He's been fine. Brilliant defending. That's, yeah. We'll keep that on the side for maybe our uh, under under the radar eleven coming up in the random. Stay segment. tuned. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're a Spurs fan, you're loving life right now, uh, big time. Okay, uh, the Claret and Blue Derby, which we referenced earlier, Villa hosted West Ham. At the time, it was fifth versus seventh. You know, a win for either team would be huge. Both teams in good form. Both teams in that same you know part of the table where they don't want to just be mid table. They want to be pushing for European places. Both. You know, are playing in Europe, Villa in the Conference League, West Ham in the Europa League. But, I mean, this was Villa doing what Villa do best. Lots of intensity, a high line. And I'll get into some of the tactics, but how big of a result is this for Villa, you know, to beat a rival 4-1 at home? It's funny with Villa um, because the first game, they got pumped by Newcastle. We were like, oh, okay, maybe maybe they're not that good. They are that good. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're better than... Man United right now. They showed they're better than West Ham right now. Uh, they're probably, I mean, they could be better than Brighton right yeah. now, right? They're in that. Yeah. They're challenging for the top four yeah. right now. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And and the Conference League, we all expect them to do well in there, although they haven't actually been great in the Conference League. Yeah, they, they lost they their lost, first game. They lost to, um, uh, yeah, whatever that team was, Le- Legia or something. Legia Warsaw, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Legia Warsaw. Um, but a couple players I'd like to point out here. Douglas Louise. Baller. This guy he's is scoring every week. He's scoring exactly all the time. Yes, he takes penalties, but I feel like every time I put on Villa, Douglas Luiz puts one in the net. It's 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 sensational. The signing of Musa Diaby is huge. He's play, He's he's been the guy that everyone has said Watkins needs mm-hmm. up there with him. I think he's been great. Maybe under the radar. <laughs> um, don't no. Uh, I, I actually I don't have him in my team. Okay. But um, John McGinn is another character who is who is essential to this team. Who's who's been great playing in this sort of right midfield world. The system is really interesting because it's a 4-4-2, but it's unorthodox, yeah. right? Because you've kind of got three midfielders, one playing wide in McGinn. He pushes on, he tucks in. It's really, really interesting the way this team's set up, and it's just clicking really well at the moment. I think the signings have, have been great. As I said, Diaby, Zaniolo thought he did okay, although the betting, the betting. sort of thing is... I can't is, believe he played. Yeah, and and I think Tenali uh, Tenali plays bench. well. I don't think he came on, I, but, but they're you know it's not looking great there. Uh, Pau Torres, again, kind of settling in. Maybe didn't have his best game against West Ham, but you know he, he, he there's clearly a player there. Kamara now in his second season. I mean he he's he's one of the first names on the team sheet uh, uh, alongside Douglas Louise, uh, and then Ollie Watkins. I mean just 
what a season he's having. I think he is the second best striker, English striker, behind Kane. He has to be in the squad for me. So uh, Aston Villa, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know if they have improved since day one or if it was just a fluke-like loss against Newcastle, but they're the real deal. Yeah. Uh, they're the real deal, not because of the players you mentioned, because of, but because of Unai Emery, too. Yeah. And Unai Emery dismantled David Moyes and West Ham, and I wrote about this uh, a few days ago after the game, because West Ham liked to sit in their kind of 4-4-1-1 uh, with Bowen and Pekata playing as left and right midfielders and Suchek kind of playing as a 10. And that has worked this season because West Ham have been good enough in their defensive shape to get turnovers in possession and counter quickly and counter effectively with Antonio, Bowen, and Pekata. What happened on Sunday, though, is that the midfield balance was all wrong. Suchek was playing way too far forward way too aggressive, way too eager to you know try to get another goal, that he essentially marked himself out of the game. What that led to was John McGinn basically running all over Edson Alvarez and James Ward-Prowse. And you know, James Ward-Prowse has been great for us, but his strength is not as a six. He is an eight with good goal output because of his set pieces. That's what he is. So when McGinn was consistently running at him, he was just getting turned and turned again and again and wave after wave of Villa attack. Him and Alvarez were just continuously on the back foot with Suchek nowhere to be found, and then it led to the first goal with Douglas Louise. And then Suchek's issue created another issue in that since he was essentially marking himself out of the game, there was an extra man always on Lucas Pacata, who seemingly was always swarmed by two or three guys, still had an okay game, but really couldn't influence how we countered like he usually did. So what that led to was Antonio kind of having to play hero ball. And when Antonio plays hero ball and it goes well, you're like, wow, what a player. When it doesn't, he, look, he doesn't even look like a Sunday league player. Like, he looks <laughs> so bad. And you're like, how is this guy a professional? Bowen had a brilliant game, scored again five straight away goals to start the year. Only, I think, Henri and Salah have done that, which is impressive. Yeah. Uh, and then defensively, you know, it wasn't a 4-1 game, but they definitely got the better of the chances. I think at 2-1, we were on them for a good 10, 15 minutes, couldn't get that goal, and then they hit us in the break. Watkins, which I'll get into later on my under-the-radar 11, maybe. Scored a brilliant goal in the counter, and then by then it was kind of done and dusted. But what Moyes now has to look at, and this is you know a, a talking point as old as time when it comes to me, David Moyes' system is a counterattacking system. It works when you are able to play against teams who like to dominate the ball and leave space in behind. What Villa did was their high line wasn't able to be exploited by West Ham because of the intensity in the midfield. There just wasn't space for Ward-Prowse, Alvarez, and Suchek to distribute the ball to the front three. And now what the issue is with Moyes is he doesn't have a plan B. That, yeah. That's the way he plays, and it has worked thus far this season. I'm not going to hold him to last season because it was clear he was trying to try something different, and it didn't work. He's reverted back to the way we play now, which got a sixth and seventh. So the question is now... Our manager is going to suss him out and eliminate the system because you'd like to think if you know how a team's going to play, sooner or later it's going to be preventable and you can stop it. And Emery did that this weekend. So there are question marks and concerns if you're West Ham right now. Villa are a good team. They won 11 straight home games. So it's not like Villa Park is a fortress. Right. right it's not now. panic stations at West Ham. No. But there's an underlying theme of is Moyes the guy long term? Because the more players like Pakata and Kudus and Bowen you get, 
the more likely the fans want to see a different style of football, and you're not seeing that. And yeah. as long as results are coming, West Ham fans will accept Moyes and his style. But if they don't, questions will be asked. This right. is his last year under contract. Some should say he should have been you back him or sack him. He shouldn't be on the last year of his deal because that you know raises some conflict of interest in how he wants to play in the long-term vision of the club. Um, so it was it was disappointing to lose to a rival four one away from home, but you know there's context to that in Villa's form at Villa Park. Um, but massive game next time out against against your boys, which we'll preview. The in swinger derby. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, I want to talk about the Merseyside derby before we get into the in swinger derby. Uh, your boys, this fixture. I mean, it's a tough one. Uh, it's always a tough one. It's always tough. Always a bit, of a, always a bit of a cagey game too. It's never really. Free the derby really only comes alive at Goodison. Yeah, <laughs> let's be honest. What did you make of uh, the game? Uh, disappointing from an Everton perspective. Um, at the end of the day, the red card changed the game. Yeah, really. I think we were in it, albeit we didn't have much of the ball, but we were certainly organized with with ten and eleven men. I think Deitch was right in his press conference uh, or post match interview with with TNT in saying that the players gave everything. You know, we were organized defensively. They couldn't break us down, even when we went down to 10 men. And a penalty won them the game. So it's really as simple as that. I think if it was 11 v 11 or 10 v 10, I think we would have caused them a bit more trouble. But it's hard to say, right? I mean, who knows how that game would have gone. So it's frustrating, you know? And you have to look at the refereeing at the end of the day, which which I'm really sick of talking about. Everybody is. I, first of all, I have no issue with the yellow cards for, for Ashley Young. I thought that was pretty blatant and and you you have to look at ashley young and say what are you doing <laughs> you can use your experience yeah. there and 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 don't you know slide in when you're when you're on a yellow uh, especially on luis diaz who's quicker than you so right. uh, and the handball on keen was a handball he just runs like that you mm -hmm. know it's just it's just, his hands are always there his though. hands they look unnatural they are natural but i mean his hand was out it's i would have given it to be honest so but how Kanate doesn't get the second yellow? Uh, I mean, everybody's talking about it, and, and I was at first I was like, okay, maybe maybe Everton fans are overreacting here. But then I looked at it again, the first and, time. and yeah, and and looked at sort of the reaction uh, from from neutrals, and everybody is saying the same thing. There's just there's just no consistency in the refereeing in this league, and and that's what's so frustrating because if we were seeing the same challenges given the same punishment every week. You'd say, okay, that's the rule. I don't right. like it, but that's the rule. It's just, ugh, there's no consistency. Uh, he gives that, for me, Craig Pawson gives that as an initial yellow any day of yeah. the week. But because he's already on a yellow, it's not a second yellow. Well, that well, that doesn't make sense to me. It, yeah. It's just it's just not right. May, does Beto uh, get to the ball? I mean, it's how do you even, how do you judge that, right? So, I mean, that, that's the only argument I can see where it's like, oh, he wasn't going to get there. But it's still a foul off the ball. Right. Like, I mean, those that's a foul. <laughs> you know, so it's just, it, it really boggles my mind. It doesn't boggle my mind because, because I'm not surprised. See, it's happened in the West Ham Newcastle game. We Tenali, see it every it week. Two yellow cards should have been sent off, but the refs have this thing in the back of their mind like, oh, I kind of like feel bad for the player, but that is not their yeah, job. Yeah, well, you didn't feel bad for Ashley Young. No. <laughs> I mean, yes, that was more obvious, but I mean, was it? I don't know. A, a shirt pull uh, as, he, as he knocks it sort of past you? I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's a yellow card. Uh, if he's if he's not on a yellow, you know, I think he gives that for sure. So yeah. and, and Klopp hooked him right off, you right. know. So, right. so he knew, everybody knew. And unfortunately, that's the story of the game. You yeah. know, it could have been a different game if it, if it was uh, eleven v eleven or or ten v ten. Probably ten v ten because I said Ashley Young should have been sent off. Um, and you know, we just had to sit back, soak it up, 
brought on a third center back, absorbed a lot of pressure, dealt with it well, dealt with it really well. Uh, and, and then the handball, and you're, you're thinking, here we go again. And, and then the second goal, we were just, you know, pushing on, and, and it, was a, it was a counterattack in classic Liverpool fashion. But, you know, that wasn't really yeah, – that's just – those goals happened, yeah. right? It was a penalty that won them the game. So you can take positives from that and say, hey, we kept Liverpool out. They needed a penalty to beat us. Uh, but it is frustrating that, that the game could have been different if, if, it was, if everyone stayed on the pitch. Yeah, enough for the refereeing decisions. All yeah. right, so we both talked about our teams. Big in-swinger derby coming up. Yeah. It's on su- Sunday at 9, probably, because we play on, on Thursday. Mm. I think it's going to be a tasty game. I think when you have two teams like West Ham and Everton who have managers who have similar philosophies, players, it's all about endeavor and work rate, and you know, you're not going to get a ton of chances, although you guys have this year, maybe not taking them. I think it's going to be interesting because you're not going to see two teams with opposite philosophy, philosophies that cancel each other out. You're going to have two teams with similar philosophies, and there's going to be a lot, I think, of end-to-end. I think the quality in defense is going to be huge. This is a big game, I think, for Zuma and Aguirre, who have been good this season, um, but a lot of defending you know, against their backs. This is going to be, I think, Everton are going to come at you with pace, um, whether it be you know Harrison or Don, uh, Calvert-Lewin, Calvert-Lewin, Jack Harrison, McNeil, McNeil, three. maybe not maybe not pace from McNeil, but he still has quality. Yeah, um, I think it's gonna be fascinating. I think the big talking point from West Ham's perspective is: is this the first game Kudus starts in the Premier League? Mm. I think the headlines are there from an Everton perspective because he was like gonna sign for you guys maybe like right. two summers yeah, ago. Yeah, Ajax wouldn't let him go. Yeah, is this the game he starts in place of Suchek or Antonio? Maybe. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a big game for us because you just got walled by Villa. For you, Everton at home. It's like okay, yes, Everton having a you know a decent a decent start, but yeah. you'd like to think we're having a better one. We've got some better yeah, players. I mean, look at the table. Yeah. Um, if I had to make a prediction, I would say it's either going to be a draw. I like I'd like to think we edge it, but it's never straightforward. West Ham Everton. You know, it never because there's always something going on. With either club, it's just like both of us. Yeah. Both of us off the pitch are always going through something, and yep. it leads to these wild games. It's got a draw written all over. Yeah, it, doesn't it? One one, something like that. Nail nail, one one. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's Everton have been uh, pretty good away from home this season. I think. I think the interesting thing is who's going to get on the ball more. Yeah. Because. I think, both it's, gonna, I think teams, it's gonna be you guys. I think it could. Well, here's the thing: West Ham are at home. It doesn't matter, dude. But but we went to we went to Brentford and and played it a little bit. Yeah. And and Onana and Garner, if they're playing especially, then I think we could edge it in terms of possession. Doesn't mean we edge it in terms of goals, of course. But yeah, that that's going to be interesting because the midfield makeup of Everton. If Idrissa Gay plays, he's more of a sort of press win it back kind of guy. Right. But if Garner and Onana play, which they have done. I think we we have the capacity to dominate the ball a bit more, but again, I'm I'm not. <laughs> we are, I think, like West Ham, a team that thrives out of possession yep. and 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 counterattacking uh, in 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 some ways and, and winning the ball high up the pitch. Right. That's what we do well. So and where we've scored goals with with Decore, who's who's really energetic in the press. So that's going to be interesting. Will West Ham handle uh, a potential Everton high press? Right. You know. And will Everton dominate the ball and create chances from buildup? So there's there's a lot of things to look into. It's going to be a really interesting game. Uh, I think, yeah, you're right. Both teams kind of play. Uh, you know, you you could you could definitely draw some parallels between yeah. the Moyes and Deitch. 
systems and styles. So intriguing game. Uh, I I think it's just got a draw written all yeah, over it. I it think does. I think it might be uh, a one one is what I'll yeah. is what I'll go with. All right, uh, we're gonna move on to our random not so random segment of the week. Thank you for Harris. Thank you to Harrison for thinking of this one. This is a good one. Un- we're gonna each do our under the radar eleven. So guys who I think are having you know good solid seasons maybe aren't getting the plaudits uh, they deserve. So from Europe. From Europe, yeah. under the radar. I went 11. mostly Premier League because that's same. The I think I, I have watch. one, two. I have three players not in the Premier League. Okay, I've got. Um, I've got like. Oh, actually, I've got a few. Let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. At goal, who do you have in goal? Goal. This was uh, the first name that came to mind for me. I think it was probably the most obvious name on my list. It's Vicario at that Spurs. Was, that was my first name. I didn't go with him. Though. So nine games, nine starts. And I used I went pretty statsy with this, so I, I, I like to use Sofa Score uh, for sort of ratings and numbers. So 7.33 average rating on there, four clean sheets, 3.6 saves per games, which is uh, 80%. And he hasn't conceded a goal from outside the box, which is which is kind of impressive in nine attempts. So I think he's been really solid. I think under the radar is a good description because everybody's been talking about maybe the more controversial goalkeepers, Raya, Onana, players like that, Sanchez at Chelsea. But Vicario, I don't think he's really gotten the praise he deserves. Mm-hmm. I think he was clearly the second choice to Raya, and he's come in and been great. With, yeah. uh, with his feet, he's been good. He's a great shot stopper. So I think he's been really impressive and probably deserves, hasn't got uh, the plaudits in terms of Spurs players either, because everybody's been talking about Madison, Son. So under the radar, I, I think he's been really solid. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That was the first name that came to my mind, but I went with someone different. I went with the ex-Fairfield Stag Matt Turner. Whoa. At Forest. Matt Turner, I think, this was an interesting one. His move to Arsenal was a bit surprising because we were like, oh, you know, he's having a good year uh, with the Revs. We saw him play. We saw him play, walking into Turner Wonderland. But then he got his move to Forest. I was like, okay, is he going to be a number one in the Premier League? And he has been. I think Forest have made a good start. He's looked solid in goal. We've seen bigger and apparently better goalkeepers like Onana, like Raya, like Sanchez, make a couple howlers struggle in the Premier League for teams that dominate the ball. So for a team like Forrest, who's under the cost a bit, I think Matt Turner has been really good for them. And I think that's not really been you know talked about a lot because, yes, it's the goalkeeper position, but you know Americans are always under the spotlight in the Premier League, whether it was Pulisic at Chelsea or you know Adams and Arison at Leeds last year. So I think big old Matt Turner can be proud of himself for the start he's made to life at Forrest. Yeah, that's, that's a good pick. shout. All right, right back, who do you got? So right back, I'm going to Europe here. Okay. A, a former Premier League player who sort of out of the blue – fell out with his manager, mm. went on loan, now is loving life in Barcelona. Jao Cancelo, yep. back at right back, seven games, six starts, 7.77 average rating. You I love think ratings. Be, I love have, a good I, rating. Mine are all based on vibes. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, he's got two goals, one assist, and three big chances created. Huge attacking output, 84% pass accuracy per game. And then on the defensive side, three clean sheets, 3.7 tackles per game, which leads La Liga. He's been a monster on both sides of the ball. Jao Cancelo, back to his best. I think that's gone under the radar. I think I'm with you there. That's a good pick. Didn't think it was Jao. Uh, My pick, staying in the Premier League, at staying at Tottenham, uh, Pedro Porro, I think, Mm. in terms of what he's been able to do defensively, 
has been huge because I think there were question marks last season where he did kind of seem like a failed right winger turned right wing back and whether he was going to be able to play as an out-and-out right back was very much up for debate. What he's done under Ange has been hugely impressive. The way Ange plays with kind of this pep style of bringing the fullbacks into midfield, it's brought out the best of Poro. Uh, we talked about him a little bit today, but I, don't, I think it's been more about the Basumas, the Madisons, the Sons of the World, not the Vicarios and Pedro Poro. Um, so I've been really impressed with him because he was highly touted. You know, he was a city guy, went over to Sporting, and then they brought him in last January. He was supposed to be the missing piece in the Conte puzzle, never really found his no. footing. Um, but he has an Orange, so I really like Poro. I think he's been great for them. He's my right back. Yeah. All right, left center back. It doesn't have to be our so, first so center back. Are we giving the no, first center back? Okay, yeah. first center back, uh, staying in Europe here, uh, just an old but gold, Mats Hummels. He's been good this season. Okay. Seven games, seven starts, 7.41 average rating, two goals. Really sneaky there. 90% pass accuracy per game. That's impressive. 76% accurate long balls. Mm. Love that. Three clean sheets, no errors leading to shots or goals. Just still doing it at age 34. I think he's been, he's bounced between the Der Klassiker clubs. Uh, again, 34 years of age, still kicking around, still a really high performer in the Dortmund side. So, yeah, an old but gold, plays in gold, too, or yellow, whatever you want to call whatever it. Whatever you want to say. Um, so, yeah, Mats Hummels. I mean, he's just been uh, he's just been solid, really, really solid for Borussia Dortmund. So he's he's one of my center backs. Cheeky shout. My left-sided center back, England international now, Mark Gahey. Ooh, good one. This is a guy I'm really impressed with. His presence on the ball is superb. His average sofa score this year is a solid seven, so he's putting in good performances every week for a team like Palace, who's consistently you know, under the cosh, under pressure. But I think for a Crystal Palace center back to get into the England team, given how stubborn Gareth Southgate usually is, is impressive. It takes... You know, there to be, it's it's not subjective how good he is. He has been objectively very good. Yep. Him and Anderson are a great pairing. The fact he's left-footed, <laughs> yeah, Anderson. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I thought of him. It's because they're solid. They're good. I mean, this past weekend was They're going great. under they the got, radar, man. They, they got haven't gotten a lot of plaudits. Yeah, they got, well, they got walloped by Newcastle this weekend. But I really like Gehi. I mean, that purchase from Chelsea for, I think it was less than $30 million, was a steal. He lit up the championship, came right into the Prem. He's a, he's a big favorite of mine, and he's, he's he had a great start to this season. Yeah, I agree. I had uh, I wanted to get a Palace player in here. So you got Anderson. So I've got Anderson okay. uh, for similar reasons, really. 7.56 rating. Uh, two goals for Joaquim Anderson. 83% uh, pass accuracy per game. Four clean sheets. Uh, you know, ground duels one, aerial duels one, both in the 70% range. So, again, just a really solid performer. Really nice partnership with Gehi. Uh Again, I mean, just Palace. <laughs> I think I actually think both of these guys could probably go on beyond Palace's level. They've got a few guys who can probably play in a in a big six club, mm. if you will. And I don't love that term, but um, so yeah. I mean, Joaquin Madison, great last season. This season, going a little more under the radar. Maybe everybody just realizes he's an established Premier League oh, center yeah. back. But uh, I think he deserves more plaudits. He's definitely going under the radar. Really, really solid player. Danish international, I believe. Yep, he is. Yeah, so uh, a mainstay on that side as well. Uh, my right-sided center back is a West Ham player. Kurt Zuma, I think, has gone under the radar. 
He's West Ham's captain now. He was the only, him and Saliba are the only two center backs to have played every game and not been dribbled past in the Premier League. Ooh, He's I like that. played nine games, played 90 minutes in every game. You know, his fitness has been a question over the years, but he stayed fit. And he's been a rock for us. And I think he's key to how Moyes wants to play because it's a lot of headers out. It's a lot of, you know, scrambles in the box. And he's been really solid, really, ever since he came to West Ham two seasons ago. So big Kurt Zuma, the captain of West Ham. That is now. sneaky. That he's gone under the radar as captain. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's a good Because you got yeah, you're replacing Rice. Maybe Rice wasn't the best captain, but before Rice, you know, Noble, Noble. was there. So yeah, that's a big yeah, those you know, shoes to fill. And he, he's great in the dressing room. You know, always pictures of him laughing and smiling and yeah. he kind of kicking boosts. cats. <laughs> I had to drop that in there. We've moved on, Kurt. Well, he's kind of referenced it. He's in learned. A, in a presser, he was like, yeah, he's made some mistakes off the field, but he's learning <laughs> from it. It's like, Moisey, what are wow. we doing here? Oh, man. Uh, so that's my center back, too, Zuma and Gehi. So left back, I struggled here. Mm. Uh, I am staying... <sighs> Sort of shoehorning him in. Not really, though, because he has played left back and does from time to time. David Alaba at Madrid. Okay. I wanted to have a, a La Liga presence in this team. Uh, I've tried to touch on most of the leagues. So David Alaba, yes, he's played a lot of center back, but I, I think he fits the under-the-radar description because everybody's talked about Bellingham and Vinicius and the midfield, but the back line has, has been solid. I mean, eight games, eight starts. He's a mainstay in the team. 7.14 average rating. And he, by the way, he's always the one of, the, I think, the first center back on or defender on the team sheet. I mean, Rudiger has has had spells out of the team. Militao is now uh, injured, right? So so he, he won't be, you know, anywhere near it. But again, can play center back, can play left back. Uh, no errors leading to shots or goals. And 0.1 times dribbled past per game so you know next to nothing pretty low not quite as good as your boy zuma which yeah. is a flat out zero but that's a good stat so yeah david alaba listen he's been great for years i mean yeah. i know we're basically this on this season and he has been good this season but uh zooming out i mean for Bayern, one of the first names on the team sheet team sheet now for madrid he's he's been excellent for them in in two positions yeah, my pick i don't love it i like it i'm going with milos kirkes of bournemouth Ooh, okay uh, young player, energetic, and while Bournemouth have not started well, he's been a bright spot. His stats aren't great because Bournemouth haven't been yeah, great, but been every hard. time I've watched them, it's been like, oh, he's got something he's about He's got something, him. yeah. Um, the Hungarian sure. international. So I'm going to go with Kirkez there. I like that. Uh, so we move into midfield. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a 4-3-3, by the way. Mine is also a 4-3-3 of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can start things off. What you got? So, so I've got, I guess I have sort of a double pivot, but uh, one of my central midfielders plays for Milan. One of my oh, boys. I'll be honest. I discovered this guy really recently, but I fucking love him. He's a dude. baller. Yassine Adli. Okay. <laughs> the dude is really nice to watch on the eye. He's only played four times, four starts in Serie A. He's, he's come back from loan. He's worked his way into the team. 7.17 average SOFA score rating, so maybe not the highest on this list, but still, again, 7 is is quality and, and fits the under-the-radar description because I haven't heard anyone really talk about him, and he's just sort of popped up out of nowhere. 87% pass accuracy per game. Uh, 4.2 balls recovered, so not bad. Not a monster defensively. Only 50% of his ground duels won, and 67% of aerial duels won, though, and 2.2 tackles, so decent defensive output. But where he excels really is, is passing, and that's where he's fun to watch. Sprays it around. Uh, he's got a, a good size to him. 
And I think he's added a little bit something different in this Milan midfield who are lacking uh, Ben Asser. I think he's out with a long-term injury. Uh, Rainiers has come in and looked really good as well. Oh, interesting. Maybe we'll get on to him. But um, Yassin Adli, man, he, he's been really, really nice on the eye is what I'd use to describe him. He's a player that I just really like watching, and he he's just sort of popped up in this Milan team, and, and he's performing well. So I think under the radar... Yassine Adli is sort of, I guess he's sort of my deep-lying playmaker. Yeah, I've got another, team. I've got, I have Reinders in my midfield. Okay. Uh, I saw this guy in the Conference League last year against West Ham, scored a goal against us at the London Stadium. He's got a 7.1 average SOFA score, and I think Milan have made an impressive start, and losing Tonali, I think Adli and Reinders, funnily enough, are kind of the combo that have made them so successful. I think in the Champions League, too, he's made his presence known. And he just, he just looks like a Milan player. He's got mm. that stature, that aura, if you will. Uh, some other stats here. You know, he's played a ton of games. He's averaging over 70 minutes a game in midfield, which is not easy to do. Um, so I'm going to go with Tijani Reinders. Yeah. Okay, next midfielder. Uh, next one, we touched on him earlier. Premier League performer. Nine games, nine starts, five goals, Douglas Luiz. Okay, okay. He's been great. I mean, and, and under the radar, like, everybody's been talking about Ollie Watkins and, and Diaby. Has and everyone been talking about Ollie Watkins? I think everyone's been talking oh, about Ollie That's an issue. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's more of, like, an England thing. Oh, we should be in the England squad. Yeah. But, but I don't know. I, I didn't include Ollie Watkins. I didn't include Douglas Luiz. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, he scored three penalties, but, you know, I mean, still got to put it in the net. 87% pass accuracy per game. I think his passing is underrated. Uh, does put up some good defensive output as well, but doesn't need to be that defensive monster with Kamara alongside him. So I think he's found a really nice role in this team, keeping Tielemans out of the side. Yeah. So so that's impressive. Douglas Louise, uh, his output on both sides of the ball, I think he's gone under the radar. I think he's been great. I'm going with a PSG player, youngster, okay. Warren Zaire Ooh, Emery, the yeah, young Frenchman, and... Yeah, this guy stuck out when PSG traveled to Newcastle and got walloped, and he was really the only guy who could you know leave St. James's with his head held high. He just looks like he's got so much composure, so much aggression, courage, as such a youngster in midfield. And I think a lot of people talk about PSG's big names and big signings like Ugarte and then obviously Dembele and Colin Luani, but this is a guy who came through the system and has really impressed thus far. Um, he's got a 7.1 average rating in the between the Champions League and Ligue 1. So he's been consistently quality. Uh, I think he's really one to watch out for you know, as his career progresses because he is so young. He's only going to get better. Uh, so I went with young Frenchman Zaire Emery. In That's midfield. a good shout. I like it. So last midfielder for me, more definitely the, the most attacking of the three. His numbers haven't been amazing yet in terms of goals and assists, but I, I think he's a really good player. Morgan Gibbs-White. For, for Forrest. That was one I was thinking of. He, he's been under the radar for, I would say, the past two seasons now. I think nine games played, eight starts. He's a he, he's a mainstay in that attack. I think he's really crucial for them, you know, with, with a one-year ahead of him and some combination of wingers. You'd like to think Alanga and Hudson-Odoi on either side. But Gibbs-White is kind of the guy in this team. And I think that's gone under the radar, 7.31. Average sofa score rating. That's so quality. just a really solid performer for Forrest. Great high presser, excellent playmaker. Uh, like I said, goal and assist numbers not quite there yet. I don't think he scored, but he's playing really well. Mm. My pick is an Everton boy. Oh, Amadou Onana. This is a I guy. Him. 
when when West Ham were linked with him last summer, I looked at his highlight reel. I was, oh, this guy's got something about him. And maybe last year he wasn't the finished product, but he's played all nine games through this year, averaging 87 minutes per game, averaging over a shot per game at 1.4, and he's doing a ton of dirty work, and he just gets around. And I think he doesn't get the plaudits he deserves because you know, he plays for you know a mid-to-bottom-table team. Um, but he, he has potential to, dare I say, move on to a bigger club one day. And he's, he he's still young. He's still only 22. Really young. Um, but he's just got this tenacity and physicality that's really unique. You Great don't see, attitude, too. Yeah, similar, not attitude, but similar build to someone like Paul Pogba, who can kind of, is big but can get around, has physicality Blanky. but can pass. Someone I really like. So my yeah. midfield doesn't really have anyone out as like a number 10. Mm-hmm. Unahi and Zaire Emery are both kind of forward-thinking eights, and Onana is kind of a traditional eight, bit more physicality. So He's been playing quite deep this yeah. season, yeah. Onana. He, he's he's eating up a ton of ground. His, I love watching him slide tackle because yeah. he's so good at it, and his yeah. legs are just so long. Yeah, he eats up a ton of ground, looks, looks more comfortable in a deeper sort of yeah. playmaker. Uh, defensive I, role. I just included him because every time I see him play, he plays well, yeah. seemingly. So I think that hasn't really been spoken about. So yeah. he's under in there. the radar. Yep, for sure. Moving to the front three, who do you got? I'll start on the right side. Wanted to find a, a spot for him in this team, whether it's left back or right wing. Solly March had to get a Brighton guy oh, in here. Okay. He's been great for a while for Brighton. Yeah. I mean, he was he's been there since I as long as I can remember. Really, I don't even know where they got him from, uh, but certainly like. Pre Potter, I remember him. That, I think he was there when like Chris Hughton maybe and those guys were there. Maybe not. But anyway, seven games, seven starts. He's played right wing, which is where I have him, and he's played left back, which is just typical to Zerbi. You know, he'll play Pascal Gross and like Solly March at left back, yeah. and you're like, aren't these guys attackers? Seven point three seven average Sofa score rating, three goals, point four goals per game. That's really good output from Solly March. And then defensively, he's been good too. Two point seven tackles per game. That's a number. Those are numbers of mid defensive and midfielders and and fullbacks even. Uh, so I think he's just great on both sides of the ball. And it's just a nice story because it's not like Brighton have gone out and signed all these new guys. And yeah, a lot of them have been new and 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 steals in the market. But then you've got guys like Lewis Dunk and Solly March who have just been there as they've soared up the table. And I think he deserves a place in this under-the-radar 11 because he's been under the radar for years. Yeah, I've also got a Brighton attacker. Well, we'll get to him later. But on the right side, I've got Math- is it Mathis or Mateus Tell Ooh, yeah. of Bayern. This guy, he he's scored two great. goals in the Champions League, only playing 12 minutes. <laughs> he scored three goals in the Bundesliga, only playing 20 minutes per game. So he's coming off the bench to replace Kane, but he is scoring. And I think this guy is a name to watch out for in future years. Football manager legend also. He always seems to go on to you know, big things in every FM game I've played. Really exciting young player. He's got a lot of explosiveness in his game. And like I've said, he just hasn't got many minutes, but he's scored goals, uh, which is really impressive. Scoring goals every 54 minutes in the Bundesliga, that, that tells you something there. Yeah. So I've got him on the right. I'll go into my left winger because you just touched on the Brighton one. I've got Pascal Gross. This is a similar guy who... If you put a line of Brighton players out, I'm not totally convinced I could pick out which one was Pascal Gross, but he always scores, and he always has glimpses of just real quality. Plays everywhere. Plays everywhere. I don't, I think, so you think of Brighton, and recently you've got Ferguson's getting a lot of plot. It's Matoma. But guys like March, guys like Pascal Gross, who have been there before, they just do it week in, week out. I don't think they get the credit they deserve. So, yeah, I've got Tell on the right, Gross on the left, kind of interchanging. Those are two of my front three. Who's your other winger before we get to the striker? 
the Korean guy. <laughs> Gwang Hee Chan. He's been great. Yeah. Uh, in and out of the side, nine games, six starts. 7.17 average surface score rating, so pretty good there. Five goals, one assist, so that's .6 goals per game he's got. Really, really impressive. Uh, really under the radar. He got a bit of attention scoring against Man City, of course, with Pep's comments. Uh, but I think aside from that, he's been he's been really solid for Wolves. And you look at that front three now, Huang, Neto, and maybe someone like Kaladzic, if he can get going. He scored a few goals. Cunha around there as well. Could be enough attacking production to, to keep them comfortably in the league. Something that I didn't think I'd be saying at this stage. Yeah. Of seeing. I, had, I still have concerns over Wolves, but Huang Hee Chan, if he, can, if he can keep performing like this, they'll be absolutely fine because he's been really solid and, and going under the radar. Everybody's been talking about maybe the, the renaissance of Pedro Neto and, and you know the defense has been really good. Craig Dawson, your boy. Yep. Huang Hee Chan's flown under the radar. My striker, I did have Watkins. I changed. Maybe a bit of a stretch here for under the radar. I don't think Julian Alvarez gets as much credit as he deserves. He's got a 9.2 average sofa score rating in the Champions League. Seven That's absurd. 7.6 in the Premier League, and he's doing it all under Erling Holland. He's got four goals uh, in the Prem in the Champions League. He's got three, so he's putting up good numbers. And when this guy came, it was like for cheap. He was going to be was the, the young understudy Holland, but Pep has found a way to shoehorn him in. He's just been electric. The goals he scores, I don't think it's talked about enough. Uh, to, I just Plays don't think, everywhere. I don't too. think he gets talked about enough in terms of, you know, with De Bruyne out, City have to come up with goals somewhere else. And yes, Holland's still been good, and maybe not last year good, but Alvarez has scored some crucial goals in the absence of Mares, of, you know, Sterling in past years, of guys who City have let go. He's really taken the next step to being, you know, a true world class talent, and you're seeing that. Don't know if that gets talked about as much as it should. I agree. He's been played all over the pitch. Yeah. Wing, in behind. He's played in the De Bruyne role. He's a natural striker. I mean, yeah. he was he was the guy Messi played off of in the World Cup. Yep. He's just so versatile. Yep. I think that's really impressive. You're right. Not talked about enough. All right, that's going to do it. So my 11 is Matt Turner and goal. I've got one more. Are you? Center forward. Oh, I didn't do center forward. Haven't done, have you done center? Yeah, I just did it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was your guy. Sorry, um, I screwed that up. So I've got, uh, <laughs> I've got another Milan guy, Olivier Giroud. Okay. Listen, another old but golds, eight games, seven starts, so 63 minutes per game. Uh, he's got four goals, so he's scoring every 126 minutes. That's pretty good. I forget how old he is. He's got to be mid-30s, though. Yeah. Uh, 0.5 goals per game, three assists, three big chances created, 1.2 key passes per game. Sneaky creative there. Uh, and a 64% pass accuracy, which is really good for a center forward. Giroud, people have forgotten about him, but he's been a really reliable performer in the team that's challenging in Serie A. Got to respect that. Got to respect Big Ollie. All right, so let's try this again. So mine, uh, starting 11, goalie Matt Turner, right back Pedro Porro. My two center backs are Mark Gahey and Kurt Zuma. Milos Kerkes at left back. A midfield three of Unahi, Zaire Emery, and Onana. And then the front three of Pascal Gross. Uh, Matthias Tell and Julian Alvarez. Cheeky. Love it. Um, I've got Vicario in goal, uh, right back Cancelo, Hummels, and Joachim Anderson, center backs. David Alaba playing at left back midfield three. I've got Yassin Adli of Milan, my new favorite player, <laughs> Douglas Louise and Morgan Gibbs White. Front three, I've got Solly March on the right, Huang Hee Chan on the left, and Giroud up front. Solid teams, I think. I think yeah. they did a good job. Super under the radar. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of The Inswinger. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.